Good morning. Let me start out by saying happy Father's Day to all the dads who are in the audience, especially to my dad who's in the audience. One of the great blessings of my life is that I live in the same town with my dad and my mom, um, and that we get to worship together every Sunday, so it is truly a blessing that that's the case. So happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Also, um, many of you probably have noticed the Polar Blast sign up here. That's from our Vacation Bible School that took place yesterday. It is not a commentary on the temperature of the water in the baptistry. So (laughs) if you're thinking about being baptized today, we won't have to break the ice in order for that to happen. So um, go ahead and come on up and and we'll make that happen for you. It was a, a wonderful day here with Vacation Bible School. If you see some people like my age who look really tired today, it's because they were chasing around three, four, five, and six-year-old kids all day yesterday, but we had a good time. We had about 40 kids here, over 20 volunteers. One of the things that they did is they did a a service project. Um, They made six different blankets for the cancer center. They put together 50 bags of food for them to take and hand out to the homeless people in our community, so they did some really good things. So Um, As you see these kids around here, ask them how they liked Vacation Bible School. I think they all had a great time. Also, I want to let you know that the group that is um, in Houston arrived safely yesterday. So they'll be starting their Vacation Bible School activities there at the Impact Church of Christ tomorrow. There are about 23, 22 or 23 of our number who are there serving in that way. So please keep them in your prayers. Also, I want to give you a report on the Vacation Bible School that's going on in El Paso. We have a group here that is there helping with that. Um, The last report I got is that that the numbers of kids that they have there is built up to about 130 at each of the sessions that they're having over the two weeks of Vacation Bible School. So good things are happening, and we're a part of that, and you're a part of that, so thank you for all that you do. Well, this morning we're going to continue with our series from the book of Romans. We'll be in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, so this would be a great time to grab your Bibles or your phones or however you read your Bible and turn there right now, Romans chapter 13. I want to take just a moment to catch us all up with where we are, and I want to do that by taking a look at where we've been. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul's focus is primarily on theology. Paul spends his time describing who God is and telling us what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we saw as chapter 11 closed, we saw Paul lead us into doxology, lead us into worship and praise. Worship and praise of God because of who he is, and because of what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We heard Paul say, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And now we have moved with Paul into the living sacrifices part of his letter. You know, once we see who God is, and once we recognize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, how should we respond? And Paul answers that for us. Paul opens up chapter 12 telling us how to respond. He says this, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
See, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, in light of God's mercy extended to us, we simply can't remain the same. God's mercy, the light of God's mercy exposes our confirmation. We're no longer conformed to the world. We no longer fit perfectly into the pattern of this world. And God's mercy demands transformation. We're called to live in the sacrificial image of Jesus Christ. So what does that image look like? Well, Paul tells us what it looks like. He says, first, we have to transform our thinking. See, we no longer think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Like Jesus, we humble ourselves. And then Paul told us that our love must be transformed. Like Jesus, we must love those who are unlovely. And last week we heard Paul tell us that even our submission to our government authorities must be transformed. Like Jesus, we give the government what belongs to the government, but we give to God what only belongs to God. And so this was Paul's conclusion of the matter in Romans chapter 13 and verse 7. He said, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And today we're going to hear Paul continue to talk about paying our debts. Paul's going to tell us that it's necessary that we pay our debts. But instead of focusing on taxes and revenue and honor and respect, we're going to hear Paul turn his attention and our attention back to love. Back to transformed love. Paul's going to talk about the debt that we have in light of God's mercy to show the love of Christ to others. Paul's returning to the subject of love. And he's returning to the subject of love because it's at the very core of the gospel. And Paul's revisiting his call to love because our struggle with loving other people is at the core of our struggle to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the main reason that Paul is returning to the subject of love is because Paul is in the process of taking us through a progression, a difficult progression of how our transformation must take place. See, Paul told us, first, we have to transform our thinking about God and about what he has done for us. And he says, if you'll do that, that will transform your thinking about yourself. And then Paul says we must transform our thinking about our brothers and sisters. We must think of them as fellow children of God. And if we'll think of them as fellow children of God, that will transform our love for them. And then Paul told us that we have to transform our thinking about the governmental authorities. We must recognize that they're put in place by God, that they're in service to God. And if we think of them in that way, it will transform our submission to them. And now, Paul's going to tell us to transform our thinking about our neighbors. To transform our thinking about those who aren't like us. And he says that will transform our thinking about them as well. 
And we're going to see that having transformed thinking about our neighbors is going to require us to transform our wardrobe. We have to decide what we're going to wear. And what we wear will determine how we love and it will determine who we love. Are we going to clothe ourselves with the desires of our sinful nature? Are we going to conform? Or are we going to clothe ourselves with Christ? Are we going to be transformed? What to wear? Who to love? How to love? Those are big questions. Let's listen for Paul's answers. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Paul says, let no debt remain. It's outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you're listening carefully, you're going to hear all kinds of echoes in that passage. All kinds of echoes of things that have been said and taught before. Paul brings in the law. He brings in the Ten Commandments. Paul quotes from Leviticus when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. But primarily, Paul echoes and reinforces the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you'll remember what Jesus said when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. So the commandment to love our neighbors, it isn't new to Paul. It's certainly not new to us. So we have to ask, so if this isn't new, why did the people of Moses' time... Why did the people of Jesus' time, and why did the people of Paul's time, and why do the people of our time, and why do we have such difficulty actually doing what we have been commanded to do? Why is it so hard to love our neighbors? And I think Paul hits squarely on the reason why we have a hard time loving our neighbors See, I think it's because we treat that commandment as just a rule to be followed instead of a debt that has to be paid. See, I want you to know that when it comes to loving our neighbors, our song should be, I owe, I owe, so off to love I go. Paul's going to tell us in light of God's mercy... Because of what God has done for us out of his love. Because we've been given mercies that we didn't earn. We are in debt. As the song says, he paid a debt he did not owe. We owe a debt we cannot pay. Jesus said this about our debt, our debt of love. 
And keep in mind, Jesus said this right after he washed his disciples' feet, right after he went to his knees and took the servant spot and washed his disciples' feet. And also keep in mind that Jesus said this right before he walked to the cross and took the servant's spot on the cross and died for all mankind. After washing the feet and just before going to the cross, Jesus said this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you on my knees and on the cross. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. John went on to expand on this theme in 1 John chapter 4 when he wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. See, our debt is to God. We love because he loved. We love because he loved greatly. But even though our debt is to God, our payment is to others. See, not only are we called to love God with our entire beings, we demonstrate our love for God by loving others. We love them because he loved us. So we have to live in the continual view of God's mercy. We have to live in the shadow of the cross. We have to live in that place in order to continually recognize and and grasp our ongoing debt. And we simply won't love others like we've been called to love if we forget our debt. We won't love others. We won't love our neighbors if we lose sight of how God loves us. Which is where things always get a little bit complicated. Complicated because the question that always comes up is, well then who's my neighbor? We like to ask, who do I have to love? Which, if you think about it, is also asking, who isn't my neighbor? Who is it okay not to love? And that's human nature, isn't it? I mean, after all, we wouldn't want to waste any of our precious love on someone we didn't have to love, right? See, there's a a long tradition of trying to make that term neighbor as restrictive and as narrow as possible. If you look at the literature, one rabbi after another has chimed in on this topic. And most of them attempt to make God's command to love neighbors as narrow and restrictive as possible. So what do they do? Well, they do what we often do. They they define neighbor as only those who are close to us. 
close to us geographically, close to us theologically, close to us politically, close to us racially. See, human nature tends to think of neighbors as only those who are close to us, which makes life a lot easier because then we only have to love those who are close to us. And that may be the way that the rabbis thought, and that may even be the way that we think. But Jesus and Paul are having none of that kind of thinking. See, when Jesus and Paul talk about loving neighbors, they're talking about loving those who are close to us, but also loving those who are far from us. They're asserting that we pay our debt by loving those who are close to us, who are alike us, but also those who are different than us, that are of a different kind than us, even those who are enemies. Listen to how Jesus answered the question of who is my neighbor or who must I love. It's a familiar story. It's in Luke chapter 10. I'll start reading with verse 25. There was one occasion where an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told a story. What story did Jesus tell? He told the Good Samaritan story, didn't he? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite, who were natural neighbors to this beaten man. See, they were close to him. Geographically close, theologically close, politically close, racially close to him. Even the rabbis would agree that he was their neighbor. But they passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, the one who loved him the one who was far from him geographically, far from him theologically, far from him politically, far from him racially, but the one who had mercy on him, the one who loved him, 
was his neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And then there's this from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. As Jesus speaks, he says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So who is our neighbor? Well, it's not just those close to us. See, our neighbor is anyone who has a need for the love of Christ. Anyone who has a need for the mercy of God. The debt that we have to God is to love everyone who has a need for the love of Christ and love them with the love of Christ. We might ask then, who isn't our neighbor? See, in view of God's mercy, we must enlarge our definition of neighbor. And when we enlarge our definition of neighbor, we're going to enlarge the influence of our love. And when we enlarge the influence of our love, we're going to enlarge the influence of the love of Christ. So I want to ask, what are we waiting for? Are we just waiting for the right time to love our neighbors? We might ask, what time is it anyway? Paul answers that question. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul says, and do this, love your neighbor. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. What time is it? Well, Paul's answer is that it's later than it has ever been before. That's true, isn't it? You know, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back and claim his own. But I do know that it's closer to that time right now than it's ever been before. I also don't know when my time on this earth is going to come to an end. I don't know when your time on this earth is going to come to an end. But I do know that it's closer to that end right now than it's ever been before. So Paul says there's a a light streaming in. It's the light of God's mercy. And that that light should wake us up. We should reclaim our urgency. The urgency we have to love our neighbors. Paul's telling us we're running out of time. We're running out of time to love our neighbors. Think about it in a different way. Our neighbors are running out of time for us to love them. So we need to wake up. We need to start paying our debts now. Which means that we need to wake up and decide what we're going to wear. I want you to take a look at this picture. Bunch of different people from a bunch of different occupations. I know they're models, but play along with me. 
So, so what do you see in that picture? See, these are people who are dressed for the occasion. You can tell by their clothes what they intend to do with their day. The fireman's not wearing a lab coat, right? The construction worker doesn't have a stethoscope around his neck. They woke up in the morning and they put on the clothes that were appropriate to the occasion, appropriate to the task at hand. What does that matter? What does that have to do with us? Well, if we're going to love our neighbors like Jesus Christ loved, we must wear clothes that are appropriate to that occasion. Chapter 13, verse 12, he says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know, if we're clothed with the world... It shouldn't be surprising to us that we go out and love like the world. Because we're dressed for that occasion. But if we want to love like Christ, we can't be dressed like the world. So what does Paul tell us to do? He says, take off those old clothes. Take off those deeds of darkness. Those, those clothes that gratify the desires of our sinful nature. See, we can't be devoted to selfishly feeding our own sinful appetites and also be devoted to the one who died to free us from those appetites. We can't be devoted to serving our own dark and selfish needs and at the same time be devoted to the needs of our neighbors. We can't be constantly thinking about how to gratify our own desires and also be constantly looking for ways to fulfill our neighbor's needs, their need for the love of Christ. And so Paul's saying, clean out your closets. Get rid of all of those old outfits. There should be only one outfit in your closet. Just the armor of light, just... Jesus Christ. See, in the light of God's mercy, we put on the armor of light. We clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ, and we do that every day. There's only one outfit that's appropriate to the occasion of loving our neighbors with the love of Christ. So we clothe ourselves with Christ. Because we not only love because he loved, we love how he loved. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what to wear? Well, this next picture will show you what to wear. It'll also show you who to follow as you love your neighbors as yourself. It's a challenging commandment, isn't it? It's challenging for us to even just recognize our debt to God. It's even more challenging for us to embrace a life that's lived in the image of Jesus Christ. And it's certainly certainly challenging to, to 
to live a life where wherever we go and whoever we meet, we show them the love of Christ. It's a challenging commandment. It's a challenging debt to pay, but it's a commandment and a debt that has such great promise. Imagine this with me. Just imagine the impact that we would have, this group that's just here this morning, what kind of impact we would have on the world if we truly clothed ourselves every day with Jesus Christ. And if every day, as we went about our normal lives, those uneventful routine lives, if every day we loved our neighbors, if we loved our neighbors like Jesus loved us. So let's wake up. Let's wake up to that light of God's mercy and let's clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ and let's go and let's love our neighbors. After all, it's later than it has ever been before. Let's pray. Father, we are deeply humbled by your mercies. Father, when we allow the light of your mercy to shine into our lives, Father, we recognize the great debt that we have. For, Father, you have given us what we didn't deserve. You have given us what we could never repay to you. So, Father, help us to not only love you, but to love our neighbors, to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to be clothed with your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to spread the influence of your love as we love others. Father, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to leave you with our uncomfortable challenge for the week. This is uncomfortable challenge number 25. And this is a neighboring challenge. I want to challenge you that each day this week, in your ordinary, everyday, uneventful lives... I want to challenge you to find a way to show the love of Christ to a neighbor. But not just any neighbor, a neighbor of a different kind. Take the challenge, love your neighbors, be clothed with Christ, and spread his love to the world around us. Let's end by standing and singing about our wonderful Savior. We love because he first loved us. Let's sing.